Well, good morning. This is uh, another message for our church. Um, this will be published on Sunday, the 18th of October. My name is John Dubois. I'm the pastor at our church right now, and um, we're just uh, so glad that you could join us online. It's, it's a real evidence of your faithfulness to our church when you choose to take the time to listen to this as either a podcast or to watch this video. Um, there's a lot of probably more interesting things to do with your time, and there are probably, if not certainly, better pastors who, who are better speakers, but um, this is our church family, and we learn together, and, and somehow God uh, is able to encourage you by watching the progress of, of me as I learn through the Bible and, and see things. And also that since I know you and love you, that you'll be able to um, benefit by God's grace through this teaching. As we continue through the book of Psalms, I'm, uh, today we'll be talking about Psalm 45, which is really quite a, um, excuse me, Psalm 46. It's quite a famous psalm. It's uh, well known and it's very articulate and eloquent in what it says. And so um, let's pray and ask God to help us through as we understand Psalm 46 together. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for your goodness to us. We pray that your grace will be evident here as we try to study your word together. May we come to recognize who you are as the God of Jacob, the mighty God who meets our need and takes care of us in a world that's full of trouble. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 46 um, starts out with, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, there's a, a number of things that I, I want to uh, share with you about this psalm. And the uh, first one, of course, is that the world in trouble. This psalm recognizes that the world is in trouble and God is a help for us. Let me read through it again and notice the uh, occasions where the world is described as being in trouble. Um, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. So 
the context of the psalm, the purpose of the psalm itself is to remind us that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present, always there, help when there is trouble. And the trouble comes when the, the earth gives way, the mountains fall, um, all of the things that we regard as stable, as uh, immutable. The, is there anything more unmovable than the mountains? And yet they do fall into the sea sometimes. Our whole world, the things that we think are stable, uh, fall into the sea. The waters roar and foam and the mountains quake. The, the anger of the sea is always a picture in the Bible of, of chaos and turmoil. These are metaphors, of course. This is poetry. And it, but it helps us understand that these are ways to describe that the things that are stable in my life, the things that I count on the most, those can fall away. Um, things like my own health or um, the relationships I'm in, the people that I love, the, the people that I count on, the, the relationships that give me much joy and comfort, those can give way and they can fall away. Uh, I can lose um, either through sickness or through conflict. I can lose fellowship with dear ones and, and life changes. And the waters do foam. Our life is full of chaos. Our, our political environment can be frightening and, and the uh, dangers around the world and, and famines and, and changes to the climate and, and all of those things that cause uh, hurricanes to be worse or, or uh, droughts to be worse or famines to be uh, unexpected and worse. All of these things, the world is, is in trouble and it's just chaotic and and so the psalmist doesn't hide this the psalmist doesn't tell us that these things aren't true it's just that by comparison to god they uh they are not so they are not uh, overwhelming they don't wipe us out in the same way there's a river whose streams make glad the city of god you see there's a city with a river in it it's the ultimate the eternal city the new jerusalem in heaven and that's where God dwells, his holy place. And that river never fails. And it's always, uh, it makes glad those who dwell there. And and while my life here on this earth is full of chaos and, and his difficulties and all of those losses of, of the mountains falling into the sea and our world being unstable, all of those losses are really only temporary here because our home in heaven is eternal. And, and there's a place... And God is within that home, and that city will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. There, God is always there for that city, for us. And so as believers, our life is hidden with Christ in God, and we know that we're safe with him. And so these words are a comfort. And then look also as the psalm continues, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, and the earth melts. But it's in response to his voice. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. They, these kingdoms of the earth are not random or able to do things on their own. God is in charge, and this is his earth. He has not uh, turned his back and, and is letting history move along without him. He is the master of history, and he's the one who controls all these things. He's the one who causes the earth to melt. And then verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I don't know if you noticed, but that verse uh, verse 7 is also quoted word for word as verse 11. So as we go along, the psalmist says, Come and see what the Lord has done. 
the desolations that he has brought on the earth. You see, these things that happen are not accidents. God's in control. And he's the one who makes the wars cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields. There is no human power. There is no earthly power that's able to overwhelm the power of God. He's the one who does those things. And so he tells us to be still and know that he is God. And he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. He's the one who's going to get all the glory and power. And again, the phrase, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I wonder if you um, know or think about what uh, the God of Jacob means, that phrase, the God of Jacob. As we go through the psalm here, we see that the world is in trouble but then also that there's this reference to the God of Jacob. Jacob is a, is a patriarch in the Bible. There's the uh, Abraham was called by God, and Abraham was a man of faith. And, and then in his old age, he finally had a son named Isaac. And so Abraham, the father of Isaac, and Isaac was a great patriarch. And, and his wife, Rebecca, was barren for many years and then um, laid her in her life. Uh, God gave her miraculous birth and she gave birth to two sons, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible tells us that God loved Jacob and chose him to be a great nation and to make him great. And so the, the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the third generation. And when the Bible says that he is the God of Jacob, it if you're familiar with the story of Jacob, it brings to the table an entire set of uh, perspectives about Jacob and about God himself. The phrase, the God of Jacob, it seems to me like, um, it almost sounds like it's glorifying Jacob. Like, hey, I'll tell you about a really cool God. He's the God, he's the God of Jacob, that really cool guy. And yet, um, when you think through and understand the story of Jacob, what makes God so great for being the God of Jacob is not how great Jacob was. It's how great God was to Jacob. Jacob did not deserve to be loved by God the way that he was. And um, I think it's important for us, if we can, to, to go through the story of Jacob and, and try to understand when the psalmist says, the God of Jacob is with us. This is the God who's in charge. If we can see life through the lens of Jacob. Jacob was 130 years old when he first and finally came down to Egypt and met Pharaoh. And Pharaoh um, asked him, you know, how old he was. He was impressed how old he was. And Jacob answered, he said, my years have been short and full of trouble. Jacob's years were full of trouble, even at the age of 130. And so it's interesting to see how the scriptures view them. And so what I'm inviting you to do here is, is to go with me on a little excursion into the story of Jacob and try to see from Jacob's own words what it means for us to know who the God of Jacob is and what he's like. And so in verse 7, the psalm says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And again in verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this God of Jacob, that's the one we need to know. And when we see him again, when we see the God of Jacob, we can get a better handle on what this psalm is trying to tell us, that we don't need to be afraid. 
So again, let me start with the story of Jacob. Um, when he was a young man, Jacob and Esau were twins, and they were warring together in uh, Rebekah's womb, and, and they were fighting, and, and, and God says that the elder will serve the younger. Jacob is the younger of the two brothers. And as young men, um, Jacob uh, tricked his brother and sold. He uh, basically purchased his birthright. The elder would have the birthright, so Esau's birthright. He, he was able to purchase it with a pot of stew. And then later on, um, it, the story goes that Isaac wanted to bless Esau, and Rebekah found out about it. And so she uh, helped Jacob deceive her his father. He pretended to remember Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was smooth. And, and so um, uh, Rebekah helped Jacob put on a costume because uh, Isaac's eyes were not very good. He couldn't see. And so he um, put fur of the animal on his, the backs of his hands and on the back of his neck so that when Isaac would grab Jacob to see if it was really Esau, he would feel the hairy neck and realize that it was actually Esau when it wasn't. And so Jacob was a deceiver. Even the name Jacob means deceiver, one who pulls the heel and grabs the heel. And so he stole the blessing from his uh, brother. He stole it from his father. He lied to his father, pretended to be Esau, and gained the blessing. And, and in response to that, Esau uh, was really angry and comforted himself with the idea of killing Jacob as soon as his dad died. And so when Rebecca found that out, she told Joseph, or excuse me, she told Jacob to to flee for his life to her to her family in another land. So that's the context. And here we see in Genesis 28 that um, Jacob was on his journey and he fell asleep and he slept on the rock and, and he said, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord. So Jacob has a vision for the first time of God. And the, in the vision, he says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And so this is the first time in the scriptures that Jacob sees and hears the promise given to him. You know, there's no obligation on God's part to do this. Uh, Jacob is a, a heel grabber. He's, a, he's a, a rascal by every stretch of the term. And yet here God is promising him by grace. He he does this for all of us. God comes to us when we're lost, when we don't have any care for him, and he gives us promise. He says, I will take care of you. And he tells Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. So a promise to become a great nation, but also if those of us are aware of the scripture, a promise that the Messiah, that the Lord Jesus would come through Jacob's family. And then God says to Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until you have done what I promised you. And so there's no conditions. It's not, Jacob, if you're a good boy, I'll take care of you. God just promises, I'm going to watch over you and I'm going to take care of you. So here this Jacob is maybe in his 20s and now he's got 130 years to of his life to lead, and, and it starts out with God having made a promise to him by grace. God just took care of Jacob for no reason other than God's own loving choice. You see, the, the God of Jacob is the God who loves the unlovely and calls them out from the darkness of this world and saves them. And so then later, around Genesis 28, then Jacob made a vow 
And he says, well, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Look at his, his view of life is pretty simple. He just wants food and clothes. And if God takes care of me, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so Jacob's response to God's gracious call in his life was, hey, if you be my God, if you take care of me, then I'll, then I'll give you money back. And so this reveals Jacob's uh, very immature view of God and his, his um, let's make a deal kind of thinking with God. And he doesn't understand who God is and that God is gracious to him. And, and so he's kind of making this deal and, and he's loving God, not because of who God is, but because of what he thinks God will give him. So if you give me this, then I'll give you a tenth of my life. And and my possession. And so Jacob is bargaining with God. He's doing the same thing that he has done his whole life, basically. And that's uh, trick things and wrestle with people and, and make them turn out to his own end. He's a self selfish person and, and he's encountered God now. And his response is really kind of immature. But we're going to see what God, what the God of Jacob is like. And so then uh, you know the story how. Um, Jacob goes to his uh, <coughs> his mother's house. His mother's brother is Laban, and he uh, falls in love with Rachel. And he works for seven years to get Rachel as his wife. But um, the night of the wedding, the father-in-law switches and gives him Leah. So his first wife is actually Leah, and then he works for another seven years for Rachel. And then, uh, because of the conflicts in the family, um, Rachel and Leah give. Uh, unto Jacob their their handmaiden. So basically Jacob picks up another couple of wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, and he has many children. And so he has 11 sons through these women and uh, his life is difficult and he's trying to um, figure things out. And so then he flees from his, his brother, his father-in-law, from his mother's brother. So his, from his father-in-law Laban and he runs away. And so he's finally, after all these years with his family, is going to run away from this horrible situation that he's in. And so in Genesis 31, um, we find out that uh, after the last switching of the wages, Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? So this is the scene after Jacob has fled, and now Laban catches up with them, and he's accusing him of stealing things, which I think uh, actually in in reality, Jacob's wife did steal some things, but they couldn't find it. So anyway, Jacob says to Laban, What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine, and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for twenty years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. 
And so Jacob, after 20 years now, is seeing that God has vindicated him and, and, and taken care of him and him seeing his hardship. And, and the edges, the rough edges in Jacob's life are being ground slowly off. This, this trickster has been tricked. And he's finally um, resolving to, um, to see that God has taken care of him. And so then the next thing they does is he leaves Laban and now he has to prepare to meet Esau. And he's terrified because the last he knew Esau was going to kill him. And so now his family is coming back home and he's afraid to meet Esau. And so in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And so he had his family broken into two groups so that if Esau would attack one or the other, um, some of them would survive at least. And he had already heard that Esau is coming with 400 soldiers to attack him and, uh, and the flocks and the herds as well. And so he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. And then Jacob prayed. And so here in his fear, he's coming, he's coming home to deal with his issues, his sin of his life and, and stealing from Esau. And, and he says, Oh God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And so he's praying to God in a personal way here. And, and, and he's pointing out that God has told him what to do. And he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. And so remember when he said, if you take care of me, then I'll give you a tent. If you give me food and clothing. And now he's gone through 20 years of difficulty and pain and and the, the cold at night and the heat by day and the sleep fleeing from his eyes. And he says he realizes how unworthy he is of the kindness and grace of God. That God has been faithful to me. He, he, I, don't have, I don't deserve any of this. And you have been given to me great things. You've made me, my, I'm so prosperous, I'm two camps worth of prosperity. And he says, save me, I pray, from the hand of the brother my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. And so this God of Jacob, in Jacob's mind, Jacob is seeing God as the one who can save him from the consequences of his own sin, from the conflict with his brother Esau and, and the, the danger that he faces there. But then he points out to God, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And so by faith, he reaffirms God's promise in his own life and reminds God of the promise. And then that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford at Jabbok. And after he had sent from them, sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So he's got him on the other side of the river. This is not far from where he had had his first encounter with God. And so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So this is a mysterious encounter, this this nighttime wrestling with 
this man is um, some kind of an encounter with God himself. And, and Jacob is, is wrestling with this person and, and won't let him go. And he, he begs for God's blessing. And the man asks him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. It's the name of the deceiver, the, the supplanter, the one who grasps the heel and, and tricks. And he admits who he is. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and, and with human beings and have overcome. And so God gives Jacob a new name. He gives him the name Israel, one who wrestles with God and, and the one who struggled with God and human beings. And so his, he, God has, has modified Jacob and touched his hip and, and hurt him permanently. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so this person, this probably the Lord Jesus in some uh, theophany, some pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus, uh, some kind of a, a manifestation of God in his life. But this man blesses Jacob. And Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And so this encounter here, he's, the, he's afraid, and his family's across the river. He's all by himself, and God wrestles with him, and he encounters God, and he sees God face to face. God is real to him in a way that he's never been before, and he limps because of this wrestling. He never walks the same again. Well, amazingly, and by God's grace, Esau responds with favor to Jacob and, and lets him be, and and so then later in the book of Genesis, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Bethel is that place where he had that dream on the rock with the ladder up to heaven and back. And, and so God says, go up there. And um, that's where I first met you. And that's where I want you to hang out. And so Jacob said to his household and all were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify, purify yourselves and change your clothes. Notice the difference in, in Jacob's life now. He's, he's, coming, he's coming to a full dedication to God. He's, he's getting rid of the foreign gods. His wife had stolen an idol from his father-in-law, and uh, he got away with it. And, and there was idolatry, and their family was full of dysfunction. And as we know from other parts of the story, there's a lot of dysfunction because Jacob had a favorite son and all those things. But but his life is changing and, and God has become his great treasure now. And he gets rid of the foreign gods and purifies himself. And then he says to his family, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And so this, um, this Jacob, this man who has uh, spent 20 years with his father-in-law and all these difficulties and that has now escaped the sword from his brother Esau, there's peace there. And so he recognized that God has been with him wherever he's gone. And so this God of Jacob, the God that we've come to know through this story is the God who takes care of Jacob when he didn't deserve it. He by grace calls him and then takes care of him through difficulties and then lets, lets uh, challenges and offenses and um, heartaches and his family come and, and, and mark his edge. And then loves him so much, God loves him so much that he wrestles with Jacob and touches his hip and makes him a cripple from that day on that he has been marked by God 
and he's been given a new name and, and God is with him wherever he's gone. And so that's the God of Jacob. That's the God that we're supposed to be aware of when we see that our world is in trouble. When we're afraid of things and the, and the mountains fall, we're supposed to be like Jacob. We're supposed to recognize that God has been with us wherever we've gone. No matter how many things go bad, God is still with us. Well, we're only partway through the story. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. He got rid of those things, and then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. So God keeps Jacob safe from all of his enemies. And then we have the story of, in this place, his son Joseph starts to have dreams about how someday he's going to be great, and, and then the, the fact that Joseph is hated by his brothers. And you know the story, right? They, they, they sold him into Egypt and they pretended that he had died. And so they got Joseph's robe. This is Joseph's brothers, all of Jacob's sons. And they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in blood. And then they took the ornamented robe, the special robe that Joseph had, back to their father and said, Hey, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe, not our brother's robe, it's your son's robe, right? right? There is so much hatred between the brothers and Jacob's family. His family is terribly dysfunctional, but, but look at this, how Jacob has to experience this. And he recognized it, and he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And so Jacob comes to the conclusion that his son Joseph, the, the only son of his uh, favorite wife, Rebecca, the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rebecca, and then so Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and he mourned his son many, many days. And so all of Jacob's sons have to watch their father um, mourn the death of Joseph, the son that he loved so much because it was the only son who uh, he had from his wife, Rebecca. And of course, we know that uh, Benjamin is born later and Rebecca dies in childbirth, but uh, Joseph doesn't know that part yet. And so... Um, here Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead, even though we know that Joseph is now down in Egypt and he's already been sold to Potiphar and all those things. So all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but Jacob, he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. And so his father wept for him. So he refused to be comforted. He, he, the, the mark now in Jacob's life was he had been, he had lost his son and he would never, ever recover. The, the mark on his hip, the, the limp in his hip was the touch of God, but now God had taken away his son and he would never, ever be the same. And so his father wept for him. Well, we know the story of Joseph in Egypt and that's a whole nother really great story. Um, how, you know, he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife and lied about and then wound up in prison. And then there was the, uh, the time where the, the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer and then um, how they, Jacob was, or Joseph was able <coughs> to interpret the dreams and be able to help find out what was going on. And then uh, you realize, remember that Pharaoh had the terrible dreams about the uh, seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine through the fat cows and the skinny cows and the fat corn and the skinny corn. And so then Joseph, um, he interprets the king's dreams and he 
um, tells Egypt what to do, and because of his great wisdom, he's promoted to the prime minister of all of Egypt. And for seven years, there's great plenty, and, and there's so much grain taken in that they can't even store it all. But then the seven years of famine come, and so after a couple of years of famine in the whole world, um, that starts to impact people in other places, including Jacob. And so now the story, um, Joseph's great faithfulness is awesome, but now we pick up the story again back with Jacob. And so in Genesis 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I mean, they're starving to death. They don't have any food in their land. They, they don't, their crops are, are not coming through because of the famine. Their animals are not surviving and doing well. So they're just, they're all unemployed. They're nothing to do. And they're just standing around looking at each other. And Jacob says, we got to do something. He says, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And so Jacob's family is suffering. And so then as they were, um, they went down there and, and then they got the grain. Remember, Joseph recognized them and he doesn't tell who he is and stuff. So he sends the grain back. And so as they were emptying their sacks, when they got back there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. So they got their money back after the grain. And when they had their father when they and their father saw the money in the pouches, they were frightened. Oh, no. You know, the scenario was that here they had gone down to this um, prime minister of Egypt. They thought he was an Egyptian. They didn't know it was Joseph. And they um, Joseph gave them their money back secretly. And so now it looks like they stole it and they're frightened. They don't know what to do. And their father, Jacob, said, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now they want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And so they are in this scenario, Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph kept Simeon, one of the brothers down there, as sort of a surety. And so, and then he says, I will not accept you. I will not see your face until you bring uh, your little brother, Benjamin, along. They claim to have another brother. And Joseph had never seen Benjamin. Benjamin, his, his younger brother, this full brother, the other brother of his, the other son of his mother, um, Rachel. And so um, Jacob had had been Joseph a favorite, and then when Joseph was lost and Benjamin was born when Rachel died, and so Jacob loved Benjamin in the same kind of way, and so here Jacob is lamenting. He says, you've deprived me of my children, so he's so angry with his children. They're, they're, they're starving again. The first load of food was enough, and he says, Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. They're both Joseph is dead, and Simeon is in prison down in Egypt, and now you want to take Benjamin, my own my the only son of his of his, of my wife Rachel everything is against me what's interesting about this um these words on the screen is that every one of them is not true but Jacob doesn't know that Jacob's life is full of trouble and and he only sees the torn robe from Joseph, and he only sees that Simeon is not there, and now he fears for Benjamin, and he thinks everything is against him, but reality is that God is for him, and the God of Jacob is going to come through. And so just like us in the, in the world that we have today, our world is in trouble and falling apart, and, and yet we, we don't know what to do, and we want to hold on, we want to take control, and we want to somehow solve the problem ourselves, but we cannot. And it seems like everything is against us. And so what words for Joseph to say? Everything was against me. And then Genesis 43, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. 
So if you got to go home, you got to go to Egypt and get the food, then this is what we got to do. He says, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey. So he's trying to basically buy Joseph's, uh, this prime minister of Egypt, trying to buy the prime minister's favor. Some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. And take double the amount of silver with you for... You must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. And take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy. Joseph, Jacob doesn't know what else to do. And he has no power. And so he lets go. He, he says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your older your other brother and benjamin come back with you as for me if i am bereaved i am bereaved and so jacob doesn't know what to do other than to just trust god and he no longer holds on he no longer grips with power and he admits he says if i am bereaved i am bereaved may god almighty grant you mercy This is the God of Jacob. It's not that Jacob's so great. It's that God is so great. Look what God is like, that he'll have mercy. Well, take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your older brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And Joseph reveals himself. So his brothers go down there. And there's the great story of how Judah intercedes for Benjamin, and that's a whole other story to tell. But Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and they can't believe it. And all of those things that Jacob thought was true are not true, and it comes out for great that Joseph's not dead, that Simeon's not going to be taken, that Benjamin's not going to be taken. And so in Genesis 45, so they went up out of Egypt, and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. And Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. I mean, how could you believe them? It's been probably 20, 25 years that Joseph was gone. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them. So this is confession time right now. They all, Jacob figures out the whole story now. And when they saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. He was no longer marked by mourning the whole rest of his life. And he, he, his spirit revived. He was joyful again. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he had reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. What a gracious, what a gracious way for God to comfort Jacob. 
His life was full of trouble, and even when he thought things were the worst of all, they were not. And this God of Jacob was working not only to save Jacob's family, but to save the whole world through Joseph's wisdom and, and through all the grace and might. And so if you look at the story now, you just, you just can't believe it. How could my life be so messed up and yet so perfectly organized by God to, to rescue and to save? So as we look at Psalm 45, 46 together, the world is in trouble. But we've met the God of Jacob, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the person that we're trusting. It's not that God is uh, just powerful and we can abstractly think of him in that way. It's not just that he's strong enough to take care of us. The reality is that he's the God who loves us and, and for no um, merit of our own. By his grace, he, he calls us and promises to take care of us. And then he, again, by no merit of our own, like in Jacob's life, he, he works to form Jacob so that Jacob um, truly loves God for who he is and not just for what he can get from God. And then in the end, it's all joy and rejoicing. What a great story. And so then the psalmist reminds us to be still and know be still and know that I am God. In verse 10, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This word for be still here is kind of an unusual word, really. In the uh, other psalms we've seen, we've seen this before, be still. And in those other psalms, like Psalm 37, the be still refers to be quiet, be silent, don't say things. But in this particular be still, the word here is actually um, has to do with muscle strength. And it really kind of just means let go. It means to no longer have power. It means to release in your mind the ability to control the situation. It's like Jacob when he let Benjamin go. There was nothing else he could do. This is... Uh, this doesn't mean that we're always supposed to just be passive in our life, that we're not supposed to try. The Bible makes it clear that we're supposed to make every effort to add to our faith, goodness, and to goodness knowledge. We're supposed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We, our, our wills are involved. But there are times, and there are times when life is a real pain, and life is difficult, where you just have to let go. Your hand releases you. You um, lose strength. You don't grip anymore. And you know that God is God. And he's going to be exalted. It's like um, Job's terrible suffering. He, Job was a great man and he feared God and shunned evil. But Satan said the only reason he does that is that he um, is blessed by you, God. The reason he loves you is because you love him so much. And so if you take away the stuff you do for him, he'll curse you and die. And so God granted the test, and, and, and Job was horribly uh, punished, or not punished, but suffering was great at the hands of Satan and his family and his health. But he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And, and he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And naked I was born and naked I'll return. And so and Job, Job demonstrates, he opens his hand. And he lets it go. 
And he says at the end of the book of Job, he said, I used to um, hear about you, God, but now I've seen you. And I repent in my dust and I, I don't, you can do whatever you want. You see, God is going to be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And it's not us. It's not about us. When we say the God of Jacob, it's not to show how great Jacob is. It's to show how great God is. And so when you've come by faith to trust in the God of Jacob, you and I both realize that God has done it all and that we didn't deserve any of his favor and grace. And yet he's made himself great in our lives um, to his great glory. And so the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the reason we can have hope. That's the reason we know that God is our, our help in a time of trouble. And so I hope you're encouraged to, to meditate on how God has been the God of your life. He's the God of John Dubois. He's the God of Tammy Dubois. He's the God of each one of us who've given our lives to him. And he is exalted in the earth and he will take care of us. Amen. Well, I'm sorry I, I got emotional, but uh, actually I'm not because I, I love this God and he's been good to us and we need to um, thank him for what he's done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are a God who um, calls us by grace, not because we deserve anything. Before we've even been born, your grace is on our lives. And thank you for your work to change us and to, to change our value system, our, our loves, our affections, that we purify our hearts for you and that we release to you control. Thank you so much for um, exalting yourself in the Lord Jesus in our lives. May we be a church, may we be people who, who show how great our God is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.